You're listening to the EFC Podcast. When I was at church on Sunday, there was hand sanitizer at every door, an option to change how we received communion, and very few hugs or handshakes. COVID-19, or the coronavirus, is dramatically impacting our daily lives, including our church life, how we do our services, and how we do life together and in our communities. I'm Karen Stiller, and in this EFC podcast, we speak first with Dr. Ted Fenske, a physician and professor in Edmonton, chair for the Edmonton Christian Medical Dental Society of Canada and fellow of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. He shares some very helpful and practical ways to help safeguard us against COVID-19, but also how to be the church when fear is real. Then Dr. Robert Dubroy, the Director of Communications of the Archbishop's Office of the Archdiocese of Ottawa, talks about the guidelines their diocese has issued up till now for churches on how to navigate the risks of COVID-19 on a Sunday morning. Finally, we end with Merle Doherty, Rapid Response Team Manager for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association of Canada, who reminds us how we can come alongside our neighbors in times like these. We recorded these conversations on March 11th, and as we all know, this is a rapidly changing landscape. The people we interviewed shared what they knew to be true on that day. We hope you find this podcast helpful and hopeful. Dr. Ted Fenske is a cardiologist from Edmonton, Alberta, and is a member of the Christian Medical and Dental Association of Canada. So he's going to speak with us today about COVID-19 and some best practices for churches. Thank you so much, Dr. Fenske. Thank you. Nice to be here. So let's like jump right in. Um, Everybody seems like very afraid and concerned and are making all kinds of changes to things. So I'd like to begin by asking you what some of the minimum safeguards churches uh, should be taking right now to fight the spread of COVID-19. Now, I would, uh, you know, place this in, in the context, the greater context of the of the flu, the general flu, and and the uh, maneuvers that the church already has in place by by and large to help reduce uh, transmission. So this is an example of flu. It's a nasty flu, uh, likely. Although you know the data is still coming in, so we don't have all the info, and that's why I think people are nervous, uh, in part because there's an unknown element, and in part because the uh, the media is really ramping things up because it sells newspapers and the like. It always has, you know, fear, uh, climate change, fear, fear of, it, of these things. And so there is this concern. But, uh, you know, one, one key element that I would underscore, uh, particularly with this uh, issue with coronavirus, COVID-19, is that if you're feeling poorly, if you're under the weather yourself, you think you're sick, you know, if, if it's the flu or not, I, I would self-isolate. I, I wouldn't go to church. I wouldn't, you know, expose other people to that. There's no... Uh, even if you're involved in the service and you're, you know, involved with music or choir or or the uh, reading the scripture that day or what have you, I would say, you know, just just call and get someone else to cover for you. That does be very important. There's no sense in having, you know, people who are are ill, even if it's not been diagnosed, uh, to be, you know, in, in the uh, in the church setting, just putting other people at risk. That would be a, a general maneuver I would suggest outside of the COVID-19 concern. Okay. I uh, was at the O'Hare, Chicago's O'Hare airport the other day, and I coughed while at a, at a departure <laughs> gate and like 10 That's people right. turned around and gave me a really concerned yeah. look. So uh, there's something That's about right. that too, like not freaking other people out, I think. Well, for sure. Exactly. And and again, I think this is 
uh, although it's early days, I think you know my my sense is that this this is somewhat overblown. So we have to kind of try to maintain a a, a bigger picture of things, particularly as as people of faith. Uh, we understand that God's in control here. You know that there is a, a plan, and uh, although there is pestilence uh, in the Bible, and and we are living in a fallen world, uh, we shouldn't be living in fear. I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to be doing. You know, and, and I think uh, there's opportunity. Uh, there has been through history where Christians can can come alongside people even even when they're ill, uh, and I don't think fear should be our our defining characteristic, even though those around us may be uh, making it theirs. Yeah, why well, uh, let's let's shift into that territory for a moment because I have been thinking um, lots about how we can be the church uh, in the middle of situations like this. So. Um, what role do you see like local congregations playing in their communities right now? So, you know, I guess like spiritually and how we present ourselves, but also just super practically, like, is there care we can be offering? Yeah. Well, I mean, the church is, is the, has been uh, wonderful through history and, and even in recent history. Now we have, uh, we, we have a prayer list, prayer list. Of course, we hold people up in prayer and that's so important. Um, we have shut-ins, uh, and, and we recognize them in our in our parish. And uh, there's visitation opportunities, or at least you know, dropping off food and and notes and, and encouragement, scripture, uh, emailing scripture. This is this, these are all very you know safe and and uh, wonderful things. You know, by text to really receive uh, some encouraging scripture would be uh, one very simple way that we can be of support to people if they're sick. You know, and coming alongside them. But you know, historically, um, I think you know there's the um, in the early church there's the terrible uh, plague that, that ra- ravaged Rome. You know, the Cyprian Cyprian plague, uh, named after I understand the bishop Cyprian of the time. But the Christians were were no were marked markedly noteworthy in, in that they stood stood out uh, from the rest of the society, and that they they were willing to uh, nurse and care for the, those that were, uh, sick. And, uh, so I think we, we should be, you know, careful here. Uh, we shouldn't be putting ourselves at, at risk at the same time. Uh, there are opportunities to come alongside people, even in, 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 in uh, ways that I'm talking about where it's not necessarily direct these days, you know, through a text or through an email. Yeah. How about, um, I, I love that. I think that's so important for us to remember during church services. So we have these, you know, sometimes large gatherings for a lot of churches, they're small to medium weekly gatherings of people who might be like shaking hands and hugging each other and all that. Um, what, and I understand about acting like we might normally with the flu, but I still, you know, shake people's hands during flu season. Um, does that need to stop? And is hand sanitizer at the door enough? Can you speak to some of those practical things? Yeah, you know, as a physician, you know, in the, in the hospital, uh, working in the hospital every day, uh, this is my constant reality. You know, so uh, I, I constantly have had to keep this in, on my mind. And we have what we refer to as a universal precaution. So we have in the back of our mind, uh, everyone potentially could be ill. You know, so we have to be careful uh, before and after our our, our uh, our interactions with them. This came out of the uh, the AIDS epidemic that I, I trained I trained in during this time of the mid '80s and and uh, in Canada. It was a terrible uh, time around the world, but in particular where, where I was in Vancouver, and uh, and we didn't know that much at that time about AIDS, the AIDS virus, and and it was uh, uh, th- there was uh, precautions that were developed that have then been extended, and so we have this in the hospital. Where we are just—I uh, mean, we're not gowning and gloving and masks, you know, masks and all this kind of thing for every patient. But at the same time, 
we are cleaning our hands before we interact with people and we clean our hands afterwards. And this is a routine that's well ingrained. Uh, and if it's not uh, in, in your local hospital, it sure should be. But it's something we're trying to make, make sure it's very ingrained in hospital practice. And this kind of same idea could be extended to the, to the church. And I think, you know, uh, the church that I'm attending, they have hand sanitizer when you walk in. It's very kind of routine during flu season, not just this year. And uh, that would be something to do. But having your hands clean would be an important thing. One concern I have is that people's hands aren't clean. You know, they, they think they're clean. They look they look clean when you look at them. But, of course, um, you know, there's bacteria everywhere and, and viral uh, elements. And uh, this was brought home to me when I did my biochemistry uh, undergraduate degree. I remember our first, our first day in the microbiology lab, the instructor said, um, you know, put your hand on this little Petri dish here that you have in front of you. And then go wash your hands and put your hand uh, on the on second petri dish and then label them A and B and put them in the incubator. We'll come back tomorrow and see what happens. And when we did come back, it was astonishing to look at the petri dish A and see, you know, your, your exact handprint in, in uh, bacterial colonies growing on the petri dish. Uh, but the other thing that was even more disturbing for me was that even after I washed my hands, there was uh, some bacteria, not as many, uh, growing on the second petri dish. So the idea here is, the concern here is that, you know, our hands aren't necessarily all that clean. So it, it's important to uh, make an effort to, to do that. And, and people have their phones out all the time and they're using their phones and perhaps don't realize that the phone is what we would refer to as a fomite. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a vehicle for bacteria and virus. And uh, so, you know, it wouldn't hurt to clean that once in a while with the disinfectant wipe. But uh, I, I, it disturbs me to see people in the bathroom, for example, with their phones out, you know. Ah. I mean, put the thing away. Okay. You know, and say, one, one, one thing at a time, right. you know. And, and, and then, uh, so this is, this is a bit my concern. I think this is where we can actually, you know, learn and gain from, from this kind of uh, scare is that maybe we, our, our own health hygiene practices could be improved upon. Yes. Yeah. So I, th I think, you know, I, I'm not going to stop shaking people's hands and hugging them at church unless they're sick. And of course, you know, you, if they're sick, they shouldn't be there really. You okay. know, I mean, I'm talking about flu, flu sickness. I'm, I'm not talking about other, other kinds of illnesses, but, uh, you know, so, uh, but I, I think it's very important. We extend, uh, greetings to other people and, and support and encourage. And I'm, I, I shake all my patients' hands and I, uh, even when they are ill, but of course, then I, wa I wash my hands afterwards. I don't touch my face in between. You know, this is a concern people uh, don't really realize that that uh, when your hands are, are not clean. Uh, I, I, I came across this when I was in, in I do mission work in Africa, and uh, we'd be in some slum areas where there's no op opportunity to wash your hands. And so you're just very aware of how dirty your hands are after yeah. you've been shaking hands and doing things. And I think it's good to have that kind of a sense about your hands, you know. Yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned about not touching your face. I learned that, um, I guess maybe I should be embarrassed to say, but just, you know, in the last 10 years on a mission trip with a doctor and he um you know he generally does not get sick when he travels in rough tough places and he shared with us like i never touch my face and that he learned that as part of his training yeah so that that is a an element of training so that's, there's a training effect there and i think uh, that that's the advantage that that really the healthcare professional really has to have otherwise they wouldn't be able to survive the the work they do you know yeah, no, that's uh, that is super helpful. Are there any other general, like universal precautions, as you mentioned, that would be helpful to share with people? Well, you know, there's there's uh, the uh, you know the sneezing thing to sneeze into your arm, of course, and to try to uh, you know if one is sick, let's say uh, maybe has some flu-like symptoms, not sure what, what is going on. 
Uh, we have health links to, to call and get get checked out. But but if you're not sure and you have to go somewhere, you can't you can't self isolate at that particular moment. You got to pick up a prescription or whatever. Um, I, I would put a mask on just to kind of minimize you know droplet exposure and just try to keep that to an absolute minimum. That that'd be one kind of thing. I, I the problem with a mask, of course, is that any over period of time they saturate so they don't necessarily prevent you know um everything you know every kind of uh, uh communication of, of 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 issues but it does reduce and that, that would be an, an idea but uh i think the hand to hand cleanliness is the, is the key thing okay um i read an article the other day in the paper and i i wondered how you'd respond to this i think i know how you're going to respond but it talked about how really we should be thinking about how we can help each other in this and um, how we can support our neighbors and how we can support seniors. And that really, um, you know, even like selfishly for our own wellness, we need to be connected with each other. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me as it's so different from the go buy all the hand sanitizer from the (laughs) drugstore you can get approach. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, you know, in particular, the people who are going to be most affected here in, in a serious way, uh, are, will be the elderly and those that have predis- have other illnesses already, uh, you know, that, that predispose them to getting uh, a bad case of, of the of flu. You know, someone with significant lung disease or significant heart disease or an older person that would be immune compromised. Their immune system wouldn't be able to respond the same way a young, uh, uh, vigorous immune system would. And so these, these are the people who are going to be most vulnerable and, and perhaps the, the people who right, rightly will... I want to isolate themselves from from others uh, during this time of unknown, and uh, and you know the loneliness and and uh, uh, separation from community is what they're going to experience there, unfortunately. And so we we can speak into that beautifully, I think, as a church, and we have our network, uh, you know, uh, situation there where we can you know contact people through email and phones and this kind of idea. So this would be, I think, a wonderful way of of. Uh, of uh, reaching out in 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 brotherly uh, sisterly concern. Dr. Fenske, thank you so much for your insights and help today. Well, my absolute pleasure. Robert DeBroy is the Director of Communications of the Archbishop's Office of the Archdiocese of Ottawa. The Archdiocese has issued clear guidelines for churches on how to navigate the risks of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining us today to, to talk with us about this. Pleasure. Um, so tell us, first of all, when did you realize, uh, you know, in the arc of this story that you needed to issue guidelines to your churches? We had an inquiry last fall, first rumblings were surfacing, and um, we, we, we really were just taking a watch and see perspective at that point. We thought it was a, a localized uh, eruption in, uh, in China, but uh, then when it spread further, about a month ago, we, we started paying attention and we realized we had to have a response. And how did you come up with your guidelines? I'm assuming that you have, you know, sort of a base template always ready to go. But w- was there anything specific with COVID-19 that shaped what you told your churches to do and not do? Well, anything that's transmitted uh, like the flu, so um, through contact and through uh, aerosol transmission, would follow the same pattern. So when we were dealing with SARS, we use that as an example of, of how we could approach COVID nineteen this time around. Okay, so let's talk about some of uh, some of the guidelines you've issued. Um, I have them in front of me. Um, do you want to just go over them for us quickly? And you know, understanding this isn't us giving anyone 
<laughs> strict <laughs> advice. Every right. I imagine most churches in Canada are doing what you've done and issuing guidelines. But I'd love for you just to, uh, you know, touch on some of the crucial ones. Certainly. Well, one of the basics is many Catholics take Sunday obligation very seriously. What we're telling them, uh, don't be scrupulous about this. If you're feeling sick, certainly it's exempted. You can stay home. Okay. So, and when you say Sunday obligation, you mean the obligation to attend church services in person. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But I know it's a little different from the, the evangelical perspective, but uh, for Catholics, being in church is, is a response to Christ's call. So, Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and doing it at least once a week is an obligation. I should just kind of frame it. It's a bit like um, if you were dating somebody, you'd like to see them often. Mm. It's just normal to express that love. But <laughs> it's been codified into an obligation. So okay. there we are. But the, re- the underlying reality is, if we love Jesus, we should be with him at least once a week in church. And, and yeah. with his people. Right. Um, but once again, uh, people are exempted uh, for, for good reason. If they're traveling or if they're not feeling well, certainly they can stay home and, and pray there. So okay. that's... Uh, out of the gate, for a lot of Catholics, that'll be a, a revelation. Okay, and then you, I know you have. Um, if you do come to church, um, there'll be you're advising churches to have disinfectants um, available at every entrance. And so, you, are you meaning like hand sanitizer when you say that? Yes, and also uh, good soap. In in the sacristy of churches, we have a sink and the ability to wash with hand soap. One of the things we're concerned about also is that. That we not create a new ritual around hand sanitizers. So okay, <laughs> that's not to be done at the front of the church. That's to be done prior to the service, or uh, someone could step away from the altar, for example, and sanitize their hands elsewhere. Why was that important? That you not uh, when you say that not create another ritual. What do you mean? Well, um, a lot of Catholic uh, worship is ritualized, which is a good mm-hmm. thing because there, there's a a good discipline to follow. But using hand sanitizer is not a ritual. We're not blessing our hands. <laughs> okay. So, um, so to, to an average Catholic, we, we don't want to appear that this is something new that will be instituted forever after. No, this is, this is just good hygiene. I see. So disinfectants are available at the entrances. Also, people can step away from the altar if they're Eucharistic ministers. Wash their hands or just probably in the sacristy. Um, so whenever there's a, a point of contact, that's where we've been looking at uh, washing hands, um, sanitizing hands, or avoiding contact. So the next one would be during the sign of peace. When people greet each other at one point in the Mass and, and wish each other the, the peace of Christ, it's customary to shake hands or even to hug. And so we're telling people, well, all you have to do is is nod. You can wish it uh, verbally, or you can even do a a fist bump mm-hmm. uh, uh, you can you can bow but uh, shaking hands is something that we'd like to suspend for the time okay and i'm wondering um i'm thinking about the communal nature of church and how uh like i attend an anglican church so we passed the peace and we had that this sunday explained to us like it's okay to just nod or you know fist bump or whatever um it's so important to say that out loud so people have permission to do what they're comfortable doing, right? That's like, right. so are you, are priests um, announcing this also from the front of the church at the beginning of the service? Yes, this directive you have in front of you is just really the, the guidelines, and they were issued by 
uh, our chancery office, which is a little bit uh, into uh, how rules and such things are, are explained or expressed. The archbishop sent a memo directly to priests, a little warmer, <laughs> explaining, okay. well, please address the parishioners. Please let them know uh, this is not to be, uh, it's not probably not forever, but it's also not to put a chill on relationships. This is just a, a way we're adapting to spiller virus. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean relationships are not valued. So please continue to, to wish each other the peace of Christ. Yes. And okay, so communion is a central part of your service and of many Christian services every Sunday sometimes. Um, so that is a hands-on experience. So uh, what are the guidelines around communion that might might be helpful to other uh, styles of church as well? Yep. Well, our priests and our deacons administer uh, the body and the blood of Christ. We also have extraordinary Eucharistic ministers when, when there are large parishes. Now, we may need those a little less because what we're advising is to stop offering the, the blood of Christ in the chalice. Okay. And uh, that, is, again, is a point of contact. With the exception of the people around the altar, the priests or deacons who are carrying the sacrament. And the other exception would be anyone with celiac disease or uh, other forms of, of gluten intolerance. They can still receive communion uh, by drinking the blood of Christ, but we won't have a chalice going to everyone. Now, uh, some people receive the body of Christ in hand, so we're going to be careful not to have too much contact with people's hands. Other people receive it on the tongue. And here's a little point of concern. Some people are saying, well, that's, uh, that's a means of transmission. You can, uh, the priest's hand might touch the tongue and then uh, that saliva will go to the, the next parishioner. So we're, we're taking a look at that to see in, indeed how this virus is transmitted. <clears throat> Generally, viruses that are ingested are not problematic. Usually it has to have contact with a uh, a mucous membrane or um, an eye duct, a tear duct in the eyes. That's the kind of contact where viruses are admitted into the human body generally. And this particular virus then enters the, the, the system and then enters the, the bloodstream through, through the lungs, from what we know. So in theory, receiving communion on the tongue should not be problematic, but some people are frightened and, and we really don't know enough about that virus to, to be sure of this. For the time being, uh, especially traditional Catholics want to receive communion on the tongue. It's not suspended yet, but it's something we are looking at. So um, your guidelines might continue to be tweaked and issued as as we learn more about this particular virus. That's right. And particularly at this time of the year, there are a couple of points of contact that we had to look at that are, are not what we normally encounter. Uh, one is on Holy Thursday, the washing of the feet. Should right, that be suspended? Right. Um, so from what we know from the virus and its transmission, uh, it's not transdermal, so it shouldn't be going through people's skin. And because we use a clean towel, clean water, and there's little skin-to-skin contact in the washing of the feet, that should not be a problem. However, venerating the cross of Christ on Good Friday is something that, that we Catholics do sometimes very uh, uh, expressively <laughs> with a, a kiss or touching the cross. And this year we're asking people to uh, just genuflect or uh, do it from a distance, venerate the cross without contact. How about uh, cleaning public spaces on Health Canada's, I was on their website earlier today, and I noticed that's part of the guidance they give. So uh, will you be cleaning your churches differently, or does that come into this? Well, this is not a directive that we send out. Uh, what we set out is particularly with respect to uh, the context of worship, Okay, worship, worship services. Um, yeah, there are guidelines 
uh, elsewhere, like the CDC and elsewhere, I'm sure Health Canada has something on this, where any contact surface, in particular um, metal handrails, uh, metal doorknobs, should be disinfected frequently. Uh, we, we, we haven't told parishes to do this, but this is a common sense thing, and we hope they right. are doing it just in the course of, of uh, keeping this building sanitary. Yeah. Robert, there's been also, like we hear every day, more and more cancellations of, of large gatherings. Has that been um, an issue you've talked about at, at the level of the Archdiocese office about, um, you know, any festivals or things larger than, say, the typical Sunday service that you might have planned? Not yet. Um, as far as we can tell, there's still people going into stores and shopping malls. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think there's a lot more human uh, contact there than in the occasional church service or a church, church event, even the larger ones. Yeah. Uh, but this, they will have an effect, uh, sadly, on some of the things that people of faith do. The possibility of a, a pilgrimage in the Holy Land, for example, uh, could have to be postponed because there's a, a quarantine, a quarantine uh, directive there now. So, uh, uh, if the pilgrim has, has to wait two weeks before being admitted into the country, that's not much of a pilgrimage. Right. Yes. So we're still seeing the consequences to this. Yeah. I'm wondering, Robert, um, like that's super helpful information. Thank you. And um, what role do you think the church can play uh, just in general as being a place of comfort and reassurance during times like this? We have to know that our, our Savior is bigger than all of this. We have a, a big God. We should not live in fear. Fear is not from the Lord. Fear is from the enemy. We should just we should be walking in confidence that he'll take care of us. Merle Doherty is the Rapid Response Team Manager for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association of Canada. Often their team is responding to disaster zones in our country and also to times of tragedy. So, Merle, this COVID-19 virus outbreak is not really a disaster yet or a tragedy. So is your rapid response team doing anything officially about this? No, we're not. Our, our rapid response team chaplains come from all areas across Canada. And as an organization, we are not doing anything in regards to this. Our chaplains are within their communities following whatever protocols or whatever decisions are being made by their province and their communities. And you provide training uh, for how these chaplains can respond well to people who are experiencing all kinds of, uh, of trauma or tragedy or sad, bad times in their lives. So how would that training be kicking in now when we think about the COVID-19 virus and all the fears around that? Yes, one of the nice things about our chaplains, and I continually say this to the chaplains, is that they work for us as volunteers on a part-time basis, but they're always in their community. And so I love the aspect that we give them all of this trauma and grief and crisis training that more often than not, they're going to use in their own community, in their churches, in their community leagues, in their soccer matches, wherever they may be in their communities. And that training is on trauma and grief and how to walk with people through crisis. So how can they be assisting? Certainly by being what they do as chaplains, they do the best, is they're being listening ears. They're listening to people. They're hearing them out. They're speaking with them. They're edifying them. They're acknowledging that these may be real fears. 
whatever it may be, depending on the conversation, mostly they're listening, they're listening, they're listening, and they're present within their communities. And Merle, if we pull it up a couple of levels here, how would you encourage churches to be responding in their communities right now and in the days to come as this situation, um, you know, feels like it's probably just going to get worse uh, for a few months at least? What role can churches be playing? Well, certainly communication. And the communication is what is it exactly that each church is or is, is able to do? And by communicating that to their congregants and to the community around them, the community can know, okay, I can go to this church for this information. And so it's educating themselves so that they can, again, educate the public based on what their community people are advising them and their health services in their provinces. Communicate, communicate, communicate out to the people. And what about... Um, uh that's really helpful. What about supplies? And, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about our own church, um, which is in downtown Ottawa and some of the more marginalized communities that we are in contact with and serving, um, you know, and I, I wondered, can we be providing them with things that seem to be flying off the shelves of drugstores, like whether it's hand sanitizer or, or whatever that fits along with the guidelines. Is that an idea that churches um, could could do, just providing supplies and things? Well, certainly in conjunction with the agencies in the community that are already supplying resources to these marginalized communities. Talk with those agencies and say, what is it you're seeing? Do you need this? Do okay. you need that? How can we as a church assist you? Because if you go out as a church on your own, you may be supplying a need that's already covered and perhaps they needed something else. So most certainly check in with the agencies that are in your communities that are already serving these communities and say, how can we help you? What do you need? Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, and that, that idea of coming alongside what's already happening and mm -hmm. being a helpful partner, that makes good mm -hmm. sense. Yes, for sure. Um, in terms of, I was thinking about the isolation that seniors uh, who are, we know, especially vulnerable to COVID-19, and they maybe they're going to be afraid to come to church. Who knows? Um, mm -hmm. What? How can the church respond to that, to the people who maybe come, become isolated because of this? I think they can reach out. I think one of the one of the pieces of a nugget, we'll call it one of the nuggets I received from the Red Cross, was when they had their center set up in Trenton. And one of the things they did is, because these people, they were kept in complete isolation, but they communicated with them on an ongoing basis by the means that were, that were available to them, telephone, video. And so, yes, they may have to be isolated in the sense that stay in your home, stay in your apartment, your suite, but they don't have to be isolated from the communication. And so if a church has a population that may be isolated or could be isolated, then I would recommend that they they call in their volunteers and ask them, could you call so-and-so? Could you call this person and check in on an ongoing basis so that they don't feel that they're alone? They may be isolated in the physical, but they won't be alone in the emotional. Yeah, that's that's really a great tip. And I know part of oh, we've spoken before, and I this really struck me as part is an important part of your training that you offer is uh, the art of listening, <laughs> Christian mm -hmm. listening. Um, 
Can you give us just a few reminder reminder tips about how to listen well in case we are reaching out to that isolated person? Absolutely. Listening well, there's two ways of listening well. One is when you are speaking over the telephone, of course, if that's the way you're communicating. Or if you're doing a video, if you're doing a video conference call with them, that's another way or in person. But listening well means exactly that is, is if it's a video call or in person, certainly looking at these individuals, letting them know that you're interested. The eye contact is very important. And here's a tip that I received from someone a few years ago. We went into a northern community and going into that community, we had never, we had never given any spiritual, emotional care into an isolated community that was as northern as it was. And going up there, I was told, Merle, if you're going into this community, you need to have that eye contact. And I said, more importantly, you need to have within your eyes that look of love that you care. Hmm. And they, he said, this gentleman who is a, an elder, as in a senior gentleman in this community, he said, if you come into our community and you start talking to people and they see in your eyes that you're just here because, you know, you're doing your job, you're not going to have any success. But if you come in here and truly love these people and show that through your eyes and listen to them, you'll have a better response. So I, I would say listen, absolutely be one-to-one if it's in person. Over the telephone, again, you need to have the verbal cues. If it's just a telephone call, uh, seniors, if that's their their method of communicating, you can still do the mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, as, they're, as you're listening to them. You want to draw from them what is going on. And those are some ways, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yes, oh. You can rephrase or paraphrase back. If you if you think you heard what they said, make sure you did hear what they say by paraphrasing back. Did I hear you say this? over the telephone. And if it's in person, again, it's that nonverbal, that communication face-to-face. Even if even if we're over a video or a Zoom call or whatever you're using, you still need to look at that nonverbal communication. Yeah. Merle, uh, just as we wrap up, what final words of encouragement would you offer to Canadian churches on just the role they can play in the days ahead to be, you know, practical help and also a place of comfort and encouragement? They can be so advantageous in the community. Our church congregations, there are so many men and women and youth and children that are in these congregations that can just provide love back into that community. And so by doing that, loving outwards into the community, loving inwards into their own community is the most important thing I think that they can, they can provide. One of the, one of the verses in the scripture that we love to use is 2 Corinthians 1 and it's 3 to 4. And we see this in every church. Every church has, has so many people that have gone through. And if you listen to this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. So that's a beautiful statement right from the beginning. And then, and the source of all comfort, absolutely. He comforts us in all our troubles, which we know that we've seen that as we go all over the world, so that we can comfort others. And so if I paraphrase this, I like to paraphrase it and say, we comfort from the comfort we've been comforted from. And churches have so many people that have gone through so many things in within the congregations that they can comfort people, all kinds of people that I necessarily could not. But there's such a variety, such a 
a volume of opportunities for every church, no matter who they are, just to love out onto the community around them and love in to the community that they're a part of. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.